1: So, part two of the Backpacker Murders, we'd like to give a special thanks to Olivia Vicellio. for researching this case. He sounded very confident when yeah. he said that. <laughs> and Shannon McGreevy and Victoria Patterson. I hope that is Patterson and we didn't mistype Patterson. <laughs> well, either way, girl. All of y'all. All of you. Thank you. Hey, girl, thanks. Also, just a quick to let you know, if you listen to part one, you already know this by now. Maybe you didn't listen to it. Maybe you zoned my ass right out. I don't know. We can't know these things. What we can know is that uh, we have merch available on our website. Sure do. And Christmas is a coming. Yes. Yeah. So if you want to get any of that, you know, please do. Yeah. So do. So... Do. KillerQueensPodcast.com. You can either click shop or hover over that and then click merch as it drops down. There's some options for you there. You'll be looking so cute and so stylish. Oh my goodness, we just got our stuff. I got a podcast club shirt because you know repping it for your podcast peeps. Yeah, yeah. So we're having, I mean, one hell of a time in there. I want to join, but I always work. That quit I know was your boss gonna fire you exactly (laughs) yeah I'll just quit yeah every week they're like where's Tori I'm like um she's 100% a bitch you're not missing anything (sighs) yeah well I don't I don't want them to like you better than me well you're gonna run that risk either way I think (laughs) so yeah we have been missing you in there but I did get a t-shirt so that I can be comfy while I podcast club and I got a sweatshirt. <laughs> I did a I did an arm thing that none of y'all know that I did. Great podcasting move. I know. Okay. I almost said something about sweater pups. What's that? You don't know what sweater pups are? They're <laughs> <are> your boobies. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, but why? I don't know. <laughs> sweater pups sweater pups you've never heard that no you're so stupid how have you never heard that so if your boobs are in a sweater they're your sweater pups they're your sweater pups yes what when would that even be relevant like people say it and also they call them bazooms oh, can- yeah i get that what about on hocus pocus bazoombas yabos, <laughs> oh, yeah. oh allison yeah i love your Yabos. <laughs> she had some great yobbles. in fact he loves them <laughs> yeah all right well once we get our sweaters well <laughs> no too far this podcast is brought to you by sweater pups <laughs> <laughs> oh my god let's guys. move on let's move so on sorry all right enough enough of that yes uh, back to the case. In the last episode, we detailed the disappearances and later discovery of remains of seven young backpackers in Australia Deborah Everest and James Gibson, Simone Schmidtel, Gabor Nigabauer and Anya Habsheed, Caroline Clark and Joanne Walters. An Australian man named Ivan Malat has been arrested and charged with the murders, but who is Ivan Malat? Ivan Milat was born on December 27, 1945. He was one of ten brothers and four sisters of a Yugoslavian immigrant family. His mother was a loving homemaker, and his father worked on the wharves after migrating from Croatia following the First World War. His father was very strict and made the boys work on the family's tomato plantation. His family was known for keeping to themselves until later when seven of the ten boys were known for having run-ins with law enforcement for burglaries. During the 1960s, when Ivan was in his 20s, he spent a lot of time in and out of jail, although he had no trouble getting women, including a couple of his brother's spouses. Whoa! Yeah. Uh Uh-oh. Makes uh, Christmas a little awkward. A little bit. He was thought of by his sisters-in-law, specifically Margaret, Boris's wife, and Maureen, Wally's wife, as a kind, good-looking man who took care of himself, didn't smoke or drink, and worked hard for the nice things he had acquired. Did he just hide that kind of stuff? Because in some of the pictures, didn't he have, like, a cigarette hanging out of his mouth? I thought so. I thought, maybe I'm just imagining, like, him holding guns and with cigarettes in his mouth, but... They do sometimes go together. I feel like it. I don't know. I just feel like I remember that, but they seem to think he was, like, super clean-cut and fit. I mean, I guess he was kind of fit. Yeah. But, I don't know. In the 1970s, Mallott's crimes escalated from robberies with his brothers. He was acquitted for the rape of an 18-year-old hitchhiker while being on the run for two and a half years after skipping his bail hearing. And then he faked his own suicide. (laughs) Wow. He's had a lot going on Mm -hmm. there. And the rape he got acquitted of was not for any reason other than... Wasn't it more than one woman, though? I thought that there were two, and his solicitor was talking about that it was consensual. Well, I guess that's what a solicitor said, but they said that the two women were under, like, psychiatric care during the time, and they ended up just... I don't know if they recanted their stories, but... Well, I think that what they did was they said that it was consensual. The women did? Yeah. Okay. But it wasn't. Uh-uh. But they kind of went back. But, I mean, that happens a lot, like, in domestic violence situations and other kind of things. Like, a lot of times women will go back and just, they just want to get it over with. You know? they don't They don't want to go through it anymore. They just want it to be over with. And so they'll say whatever they need to say, which is really sad. So. It's really sad. Again, had this gone differently, where would we, you know, could things have been different? Probably. Sucks. Ivan was a road worker and often working a lot of overtime, and his main hobbies were shooting and hunting, mostly in the woods of Belanglo State Forest. He married a woman named Karen who lived the opposite of a life of marital bliss and saw the other side of Ivan that his sisters in law did not see. Karen had been in a relationship with Ivan's cousin and was pregnant with his cousin's baby when Ivan raped her and basically forced her into a relationship with him. What? Yeah. For 10 years, Ivan mentally, emotionally, and physically abused her, controlled her, humiliated her in front of family, and punished her when she did something he didn't like. She later filed for divorce. I think by 1989, they were divorced, so she didn't want to deal with that anymore. Good for her. Yeah, exactly. On March 26, 1996, the most anticipated trial of the country began for 51-year-old Ivan Milat, who'd pled not guilty to his charges. The press gallery was full of reporters covering the trial from media outlets all over the world. Long lines formed in the courthouse for hopeful spectators trying to get a seat in the limited space of the public gallery. The prosecution was led by senior Crown Prosecutor Mark Tedeschi, and it took them 12 weeks to present their case with testimony from their star witness, Paul Onions, hundreds of exhibits, photos from the crime scenes, and expert witness testimonies. That's a long time, 12 weeks. Yeah. A really long time. For just the prosecution. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that just shows you how much they had against him, which was. Oh, yeah. When when Tedeschi was talking in the documentary, he's like listing the evidence they had against him. And he's like, that's not even half of what we had. That's not even a quarter of what we had. That's amazing. Malott was originally represented by the same lawyer that represented him in his rape case from which he was acquitted in the 1970s, John Marsden, but ended up firing him because Marsden had advised Ivan to plead guilty. Malott was called to the witness box for his defense where he denied everything but botched answers for the prosecution's cross examination questions. Like, obviously, if you're going to get up there and get on the stand, especially with all that information against him, Evidence against him. You've got to prepare him to get fucking reamed by the prosecution, Mm -hmm. which he's going to do. What other way can you explain having all of those items? Exactly. And clearly, they needed to spend a little bit more time preparing. Right. Probably whoever took over, though, didn't have a lot of time to prepare if he fired his attorney. Like, Well, that's true. Mid-whatever, but... He should have fucking thought about that. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. The defense claimed that his brothers actually committed the crimes and set Ivan up to take the fall for them. Olivia says this defense went over like a turd in a punch bowl for the jury because of the mountain of evidence against Ivan. A turd in a punch bowl. That's Mm, amazing. I would agree. Yes. Didn't go well. How? I mean, I'm part of a family. A lot like many of you are. Sure. If I do something wrong, I don't believe I'm going to blame a family member. That's where we differ. Whoa. <laughs> if I get caught, I'll be like, Tori did it. <laughs> well, that's... Or yeah. Tori made me do it. I have lots of different ways. Either way, it's not your fault, I'm guessing. Is that <laughs> right. what we're, we're yeah. going to do there? I just don't understand. I mean, you see it a lot, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, or like... Fucking Casey Anthony. Mm-hmm. Or parents... Throwing their kids under the bus, being like, oh, well, my kid did it or whatever. Right. Fucked up. Like, how do you live with yourself? Yeah. With something like that. Like, that's just, I don't know. I don't like it. Especially like, I don't know, I guess not all of them are close or anything, but yeah, still seems weird. On July 27th, 1996, after a three-day deliberation, the jury found Ivan guilty of all eight charges and he was sentenced to eight years for the attack on Paul Onions and seven consecutive life sentences for the murders of the backpackers without the possibility of parole. Oh, and one thing that they talked about in the documentary, um, Simone's dad said that, what was it that Ivan, well, he was smirking at him. He was smirking at him and he said something that like something of maybe hers that was found in his house or something like he didn't put it there. It wasn't him or I don't remember what it was, but he got pissed and threw his pack of cigarettes at him. I think so. Because he's like, you know, I'm sitting very near the person who I know killed my daughter. And he's looking at me and he's smirking at me. Like he's giving me this look. And he was like, I had so much satisfaction throwing that pack of cigarettes. Like, yes. You know, that's the most he could do. And I was thinking, like, how, like, it's so strong to be there and to look him in the eye and to, you know, come face to face with him, but to also have the ability to restrain yourself and not fucking. Like jump across, yeah, get away shit yeah. on him, like, yeah, or kill him, or whatever, I mean, that would be very difficult for me, yes. I mean, I know now they have like metal detectors and stuff, but I don't know if they did then, hmm for that kind of stuff, he maybe could have snuck a gun in, like mm-hmm. I don't know that I know that sounds horrible, but I would have a very hard time knowing that somebody brutally murdered my child and not taking it out on them, mm-hmm. especially Ivan, he was just such a fucking piece of shit to, like, smirk all the time. He seemed just proud of what he did, like. And <laughs> Simone's dad said that that look that he gave him will never leave him, like, it will haunt him for the rest of his life. Yeah, absolutely. And then Gabor's mom said that she kept trying to get him to look her in the eye, and he wouldn't. He would, he just looked down, he wouldn't look at her. And, I mean, he's a, He's a coward. Like, obviously he does, the things that he does are when he feels that there's no, nobody's going to question his control of a situation. He's not, he doesn't have to fight for control. He's picking totally unfair fights, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like when he's in court and he doesn't have all these other means of intimidation, he can't look somebody in the eye. Right. What a piece of shit. Yeah. He began his sentence in the Maitland prison where he served nearly a year, but he was moved to maximum security section of Goulburn prison after law enforcement caught him attempting to escape in May 1997 with another inmate. He continued to insist that he was innocent and tried self-mutilation, hunger strike tactics to try to be heard on an appeal. His first appeal was denied in July 2001 and his final appeal was denied in September 2005 he would spend the rest of his life in prison. In May 2015, Ivan's older brother, Boris Malat, did a television interview for Sunday Night True Stories. Boris stated that Ivan had a cruel streak from a young age with a story about Ivan cutting a dog in half with a machete. Jesus. Well, we know how serial killers get started. Exactly! That's... the most concerning thing I think I've ever heard. Like... That is an extremely violent act. Yeah, extremely. He further stated that Ivan was a total psychopath, and Boris knew from when Ivan was 10 years old that he would end up killing someone. He said that when Ivan was 17, he confessed to Boris that during one of his robberies in 1962, he shot a cab driver and left him for dead. The driver, Neville Knight, was paralyzed, and an innocent man, Alan Dillon, was wrongfully convicted and served five years in prison for that crime. In the same interview, Ivan's nephew, Alster Shipsey defended his favorite uncle by saying he was a good-hearted person who always looked after everyone. Alster and many others in the Malat family maintained that Ivan was innocent and had been framed by the government. Alster said the only reason Boris didn't support Ivan was because Ivan had an affair with his wife, and she became pregnant with Ivan's daughter, Lenise Malat. I mean, that is a good reason to not like your brother. Do you always (laughs) love your brother? I always, always, always love my brother. I think that the government framing him is a stretch. Yeah. Like, did they go and put all of your victim's belongings (laughs) in your house and then give your girlfriend the sweatshirt? Yeah, and then also go and grab your gun out of your house, shoot all these people with it, and then go back and put the gun back in your house. It's just the stupidest fucking thing I've ever heard. It's so amazing to me the defense that some people put on, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. no, I didn't do it because uh, it was actually aliens or, you know, like, I don't know, just ridiculous shit. Exactly. 54-year-old Lanise is still not positive that her father is guilty. She stated, I don't know if he did it, but I do know there's a lot of holes in the evidence. A lot of things don't add up for me. I would like a, a three point essay on yeah, what that is. Yeah, I was gonna say, is. can we get more info on that? How it does not add up to you? Yeah, because because it's all there. Yeah, honestly, it couldn't have. It's, it's it couldn't it, be more definitive. Yeah, I don't it's think. exactly black and white. There is no gray. I don't yeah, think. No, not at all. She loved her father, even though she never had a chance at living a normal life due to the dysfunction she was exposed to growing up in a family that was always tangled up in law enforcement and then the public outcry over her father's crimes. Laniece works at a supermarket and lives a reclusive life. In July 2015, the Malat family attorney, John Marsden, who had initially represented Ivan before he was fired, made a deathbed statement that Ivan was assisted in the murders by a woman who lived with him. Who would that be? Did he have a living... Well, I guess the girlfriend? The girlfriend, I guess. Huh. Ivan is believed to have committed many other cold case murders. 20-year-old Karen Rowland went missing after she failed to arrive at a family gathering on February twenty sixth, 1971. Her car was found without gas on a rural road. On May thirteenth, Karen's body was found in Fairburn Pine Plantation, about 32 feet from her vehicle. Her cause of death was never confirmed but there was evidence that she'd been sexually assaulted. Ivan would have been 26 at the time, and former co-workers stated that he'd bragged about killing a woman about that time. Did nobody call the fucking police? Yeah, I don't understand this. like, oh, that's just Ivan. He's just being... Always acting like he killed somebody. (laughs) Right. It's not the same as fucking Carol coming in and acting like she made those brownies from scratch when you know she bought them at the bakery. Yeah. Like, those are different things, and they're treating it like the same thing. Exactly. I don't get it. I would hope that someone would be like, you just got to let someone know. Yeah. Just let someone know. Yeah. Now, would the police have followed up on it? I don't know. But it should have been, it should have been taken seriously. Yeah. On December 30th, 1978, 20-year-old Leanne Goodall disappeared after she was last seen at a bus stop to catch a train from Newcastle to Sydney to celebrate New Year's. Four months later, 18-year-old Robin Hickey disappeared after leaving her house near Newcastle. She had been on her way to meet up with a friend at a local hotel, but she never made it and was never seen again. 13 days later, 14-year-old Amanda Robinson also disappeared and was never seen again. Ivan was in the same area as Leanne, Robin, and Amanda at the time of their disappearances between Newcastle and Sydney. He knew the roads well. He was known to frequently pick up hitchhikers. All the girls were alone and using public transportation, so they would have been ideal targets for him to prey on. He was questioned about their disappearances during his incarceration in June 1998, but he denied any involvement. Their remains have never been found. On January 21st, 1998, 18-year-old Peter Letcher's body was found off of a forest trail near a place called the Genolan Caves. He had been shot in the head five times, execution style, and stabbed in the back numerous times then laid face down in a ditch and covered with branches and leaves. That sounds exactly like him. Exactly. I don't need any case closed. No, yeah, exactly. I don't need to look at any evidence. I don't need to test anything. That's enough. That's it. That's enough. Lock him up. Uh, Ballistic tests later indicated that the same model Ruger rifle was also used to murder Caroline Clark and Gabor Niegebauer, and at the time, Ivan was working in the Janolan Caves Road. Hmm. If Ivan Milat held any keys to solving these cold cases, he took them to his grave. At 4:07 a.m. on October 20th, 2019, 74-year-old Ivan Milat took his last breath at Long Bay Hospital in Sydney, Australia. He had been suffering for 5 months with terminal esophagus and stomach cancer. He'd had many visits preceding his death by investigators attempting to get a deathbed confession for the families and victims, families of victims of several horrific murders. He sat in the interrogation room and refused to give the families closure they so desperately wanted, even pretending to be asleep at times. He's just, like, the, if you looked up little shit in the dictionary, that's, his face would be there. hmm Like, he's just a shit. Like, never grew out of it from elementary school, just being a yeah. little turd. Yeah, just, yeah. like, what an asshole. Although he never made a confession, his death marked the end of a long chapter of agony for the victim's families and a new chapter of healing. The brother of Deborah Everest stated upon hearing of his death, it hasn't come too soon. It's long overdue. For the amount of suffering he caused to my family and to my sister, what it did to my mother, it tore her inside out and made her life a living hell. And they, they talked to Pat at the end of that, documentary and she just, you know, it was like you never get over the pain of losing a child. And all of them, they they talk about, you know, life has to go on, you have to keep going, but you never get over it. And I just there's so much fallout from these cases like it doesn't I mean there's one sometimes one victim or multiple victims, but there's so many people that are affected and touched by like it, you're not just affecting one person's life. Exactly, yeah. It's so many people that have to deal with it, and it's it's so much of their lives, you know? It's not just like, oh, I wake up. I mean, eventually, you know, it gets to the point probably where it, it doesn't affect them maybe quite as intensely anymore, but you're never going to have a day where you don't think about your child. You're never going to have a day where you don't, Where it doesn't affect you. And even people who lost, you know, these people as friends and and whatever, like, there's just so much, so many more people affected by this. And his family, if any of them, seems like Boris is really the only one who doesn't support him. Yeah, he's not buying his bullshit. Yeah, but his brother, his other brother that they talked to, which one was that? There's so many. There's so many, yeah. I don't remember which one it was, but, you know, he's like... I mean, I just don't think that he did it. Like, I have all this stuff from, you know, from the people that were killed there, but I don't think that he did it. I don't see any proof of that. Doesn't make any sense. Like, yeah, I don't understand how that can be, like, staring you in the face and you'd be like, nope, I don't buy it. Yeah, exactly. Like, well, I'm, what evidence is it that you're looking at? I don't get it. Right. But it definitely, like, the group went crazy when... It came out in the news that he died in prison. Everybody was like, good riddance. Exactly. But we figured we needed to cover the case because we definitely had some requests for it. And, and if you requested it in another way other than the form, then then thanks to you, too. Um, But, yeah, we thought it would be appropriate to go ahead and cover it at that point. Yeah, and it's one that I had heard of but didn't know details about, so... Yeah, I didn't know this much about it, and it's just, I don't know, it, there's always, like, a name for a case, you know, like, either people refer to it by the killer or by the victim or whatever, but for somebody who has multiple victims, it's really, really hard to do the actual, the victim's justice because they kind of almost get lumped in, like, here it's the backpacker murders, you know, and it's like, it's like, the seven backpackers. And it almost takes away from that the reality. I think that's part of why I appreciated the documentary so much is because you got to talk to their family and you got information about the victims, like more about them and what kind of people they were. And you see pictures of them and it just humanizes it so much more. And I think that's, you know, that's kind of something that it almost gets, not looked over, but you know what I mean. Like, when there's multiple victims, it's just you, there's a lot of information to go through. So you feel like you can't really give the victims enough enough justice, but mm-hmm. hopefully their parents will, you know, continue to heal. Yes, definitely. Sad stuff. But that's the end of the two-part episode of Ivan Milot it is again thank you always for being here with us and hopefully you join us on the next one yep we'll have a new case next week yeah have a good rest of your day or week or whatever you have a good rest of your life how about that good riddance (laughs) I know that's kind of what it sounded like (laughs) that's not what I meant have a just good saying, life. Let's not limit it to a day or a week. Let's, yeah. let's have a good everything. Yeah. Always have good days. Yes. And then on one of those days, we'll meet again. Yes. Always be happy. A-B-H. Yep. A-B-H. All right. Well, got even weirder. So yeah. Just when you How thought did we it could I know. Yep. <laughs> Thank oh, you so much. And we will catch you on the next one. <laughs> Bye. Bye.